0: everyone, welcome back to the show. Today, I have a fascinating guest. I'm sure you'd love to hear from him. I'd like to introduce you to Warrant Officer James Topp. James, as you probably know, has marched all the way from Vancouver to Ottawa, protesting the vaccine mandates and other restrictions that have been in place since the pandemic. He left Vancouver February 21st, finally arriving here in Ottawa June 30th, a day before Canada Day. He covered roughly 4,300 kilometers over a five-month period. His journey ended at the National War Memorial, where he paid homage at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I was there at the National War Memorial, and I witnessed him being greeted by at least a thousand or more supporters and well-wishers. James's march isn't quite done yet. He's recently announced that he's going to be marching onward to Signal Hill, Newfoundland. James has been criticized by sections of the mainstream media for protesting the vaccine mandates. He's also aroused some controversy uh, by choosing to announce his march while wearing his military uniform. As a result, he faces possible disciplinary action by the military. I'll be speaking to James about all of this and much more, trying to understand the inspiration behind Canada marches, why james continues to march and how he hopes that the march and the movement around him will change things for the better in canada so on that note please welcome james hi james it's great to have you here and i'm so glad that you made the time to um chat with me for a few minutes um and uh so i wanted to first begin by asking you uh what inspired you to march from Vancouver to Ottawa, and you've now recently announced that you've, you're marching from Ottawa to Signal Hill, Newfoundland in a few days. Uh, what is the inspiration behind the second part of the march?
1: The second part of the march is, um, I think, just to, to maintain the momentum and visibility that we've achieved thus far. Um, I think it's important to uh, make sure that people are aware of the present circumstances in that with regards to you know what what started all of this was um you know without going too 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 uh, far into the weeds with it you know it was the implementation of of pandemic measures what we were told was to mitigate this um, disease called COVID and then that that evolved into into uh, a number of different things which eventually culminated in uh, August of last year with the announcement that Uh, vaccine was going to be required for federal government employees and also a number of corporate sectors took that on board as well and then we had this um, the creation of this new kind of um, discriminatory system whereby if you weren't uh, willing to disclose your vaccination status which I think is a private medical concern not really that should be open to anybody to know and or you are not going to get vaccinated, which I also have serious questions about um, based on what I'm seeing and hearing about the safety and efficacy of this particular vaccine. Um, So that brought us to this situation back in November. uh, I was affected personally, as I know a number of other federal government employees and a number of other citizens were also affected. Uh, Fast forward to January, we had the protests. Um, That is really what I think, you know, lit a fire underneath a lot of people and that they saw finally um, Canadians from all walks of life and uh, from across the country kind of joining together in Ottawa to make their their voices heard and to to, uh, air their grievances. And, you know, they were not heard. Um <clears throat> so on one hand I was insulted and on another uh, hand I was inspired.
0: Yeah and, and so on that you know I, um when you were marching from Vancouver to Ottawa uh, what was the reaction from people you met along the day, uh, along the way? Were people generally supportive of what you were doing, or did you meet a lot of hostility along the way? Uh, and I, I think you're in a unique position, James, in in telling us what the pulse of the nation is, because you've met average Canadians who are, um, you know, far removed from the corridors of power. Um, you know, how do you think that they're feeling at this time? What do they think of the country right now, of where we are right now?
1: yeah it's it's difficult for me to gauge at where we are at the present, but I can tell you, um as you know, uh, I on February the twelfth, I went out in uniform. I felt the issue was so severe that uh, I needed to make my voice heard uh, utilizing that um, kind of tool that I had, which in it which to say that I am a currently serving member of the Canadian Forces, and um, I went out in uniform, made a public statement critical of this particular policy. And um, there are repercussions and we can talk about that after, but I knew there would be. However, like I said, I thought it was severe enough for me to say something and do something about it. And um, I I basically, as soon as that video hit the internet, I was approached by um, people wanting to be a part of it and assist me either on the ground or online. So uh, with that, I was able to kind of get support in um, the physical w- world with, you know, regards to um, people joining me. And I initially thought this was, this was going to be potentially a one-man show. Just just me marching and, you know, doing what I thought I needed to do to to kind of um, address this issue of my conscience. And, and then, uh, well, too, I had, you know, folks wanting to help me online with regards to media relations. <clears throat> and establishing and uh, maintaining a, uh, a presence online, so that people could be educated about what I was doing. So this it, it started immediately. I mean, I mean immediately. And this, uh, uh, this was going on. I made this announcement in February, right before the implementation of these emergency measures, because I could kind of see where everything was going, and that was the direction that was the taking. And I was, you know kind of distressed that, you know, the the state or federal government would take these actions against protesters um, who were trying to, uh, you know, get a point across. There didn't seem to be any kind of willingness on, on the part of the government to, to hear what was being said and come to come, some kind of solution. So, <clears throat> obviously, this is, I wasn't the only person who was distressed by this. And when I did make the announcement, I said I was going to leave Vancouver on February the 20th. And uh, it this the support there at the Terry Fox Memorial at 7:30 on a Sunday morning. there was probably over a hundred people who came to see me off and after we decided to march away, there was probably 70, 70 people marching with me out of downtown Vancouver. So um, it has been it has been overwhelmingly positive like I mean, and I've, I've, used, I've said this before and I'll say it again just to illustrate the point. The number of folks who came to me and said, I want to be a part of this, I want to help you. What you're doing is important. Thank you for what you're doing. This has given me hope. Like, I mean, this is this has happened since the beginning. And the number of folks who had come to me and said, okay, stop what you're doing. Um, this is why you should stop. This is my argument. And you know, um, with the, with, here's, here's the analysis I have. These are the reasons. And so forth. that has happened, um, you know, compared to the thousands of people I met between Vancouver and Ottawa who encouraged me, the people who had something um, to say with regards to why I shouldn't do it is, is zero. Like, I mean, nobody, nobody came forward. There was a lot of negativity sometimes with regards to people driving by and having something to derogatory to shut out the window. But that is as far as it ever went. Mm hmm. So it has been overwhelmingly positive, and um, you know, as despite the stresses, um, the physical hardship, and the challenges, this was—you uh, know—I'm I'm very lucky to have been able to to do this and meet all these uh, um, amazing people.
0: Yeah. So, when you when you finally got to Ottawa on June 30th, you paid homage to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Uh, What was that experience like? Uh, I also noticed I happened to be there and I noticed that as you arrived at the center tap, you were greeted by thunderous applause. Uh, I imagine there may have been at least a thousand people there, uh, your supporters and well-wishers. Were you at all surprised at how much your march has resonated with people? Um, You know, And how did you feel when there were all those people there to greet you? And many of them were very emotional and they were crying. There were lots of tears. Um, there were kids uh, there to greet you. How, did I, you know, were you at all? How did you feel about it? Were you overwhelmed? Was it an emotional moment for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was overwhelming. It was uh, an emotional uh, rollercoaster ride. <clears throat> but uh, I was—I was explaining this in an interview early to, earlier today. It's difficult to put it into words because, I mean. In, in one way this was uh it was a completion it was a celebration and in another way um you know i I had envisioned this from the beginning you know where I was going to start from and where I was going to end and in my mind's eye I always saw myself in that position and you know putting my hand on that tomb knowing that what I had done was in the spirit of veterans and and, and not just veterans but you know Canadians who came before me and made a sacrifice for the good of uh of this country that we that we believe in and the system of government, um, and you know, I I said, and and with the help of the team, this is this, this was accomplished. Um, it was completed successfully. Um, the march again, you know, you you commented, yeah, I think there was probably more than a thousand people there because at one point marching through Ottawa, we had um, three people uh, abreast. And marching um, with a with a line of people almost a kilometer long. So I mean that was just that was just folks following us from into, into downtown. So knowing that this this and this was facilitated by uh, veterans and by Canadians who who listened to what we were saying and they understood what this was about. This was a peaceful demonstration and um, they took that on board and they behaved, uh, you know they they conducted themselves accordingly and with discipline. Which is one of the things that we were trying to demonstrate, you know, myself as an armed forces member, this is how um, you achieve things, right? It's through yep. organization, it's through discipline. We we met people, we we we, line, we asked them to line up and march with us in this fashion, so to, to make this demonstration. And it was an amazing experience, and apart from one minor altercation that I know was kind of zeroed in on by... uh um, the corporate sector there and with regard to information um, sales. But um, they, uh, the, 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 it was such a successful event and the positivity around it and, and folks, yeah, like you said, they resonated. Mm-hmm. Putting my hand on that and knowing it was complete, we achieved the goal. Um, everybody made it nobody you know there was no serious incidences along the way from i mean you know february till june end of june
0: yeah
1: it was an amazing experience and then knowing that i was also there to kind of um pay my respect to those who who have you know personally worked with and who are not uh in armed forces who are no longer with us and and you know that that was part of the reason why we're doing this. It was paying respect to them and paying respect to those veterans who were also present in Ottawa in January and February, and they were there, standing shoulder to shoulder with you know Canadian citizens, showing uh, that solidarity and being there with them and demonstrating that kind of component of um, you know the armed forces that. Uh, Believe that there's something that was needed to be said and a problem that needed to be addressed. So, absolutely, there was um, this kind of whirlwind of emotions, which was, uh, was like overwhelming. And then um, that, that moment passed, and it was amazing that like, you know, I really wasn't conscious of it, but I know that there was you know, a significant moment of silence. While well, that happened, and again, that speaks to the people who were there, to how much they believed in it, and they were they were being um, respectful of each other and, and what I was doing, and yeah, it was an amazing experience. I like I said, yeah. despite the hardship and what brought me into this position, I'm very fortunate to have been uh, able to, part, you know, be a part of this and, and
0: yeah.
1: having managed to make it successful. Um-
0: so there have been some reports in the mainstream uh, media that you're likely to be court-martialed. Um, and um, and I've read some comments that you've made earlier that you're not too worried about it. Um, and you kind of expected this to happen. Um, could you explain to those of us uh, who don't know how a court-martial works, uh, what is involved and whether there's any risk uh, that you might end up in a military jail. Uh, does that worry you? And um, and 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 also, actually, I'm I'm really curious. What made you decide to march in your uniform in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think because what what it needs to be understood is that this was this was a, a mandate being imposed on us with regards to. And I've heard the arguments. Uh, you know, uh, yes, the armed forces are required to get immunization to become operational. Typically, however, those immunizations have been studied and been in use for a significant period of time, which is the exact opposite of this uh, particular um, um, substance, in fact, what we're calling a vaccine. And then um, that, so, you, you know, I had that concern. I had that question. Furthermore, this implementation of this system where, you know, you uh, even on a military base, you're required to disclose your vaccination status just to go to the mess hall or the gym. Um, you know, this is a discriminatory system that I don't believe in. This is something based on medical choice on a, on a, a, a product that is said to be safe and effective, yet requires an uh, never ending uh, updating or, you know, frequent boosters. I, I'm, you know, it's beyond me how this is not being called into question. And furthermore, to be told that after all this time and unfortunately that, you know, this is the way I'm going to be released, um, I wanted to make sure that it was perfectly clear that, uh, yes, I'm a public servant, but I'm not a servant. Okay, like I do, I serve the Canadian public. I don't respond to um, this kind of finger wagging and bluster and, you know, these threats and this coercion that was going, that was being put into place. I actually had a interview with a with a with a fellow from Canadian Press, and he said, "Well, you know, the they, the arguments are that are being made are false equivalencies. As far as I'm concerned, with regards to, well, are we are we now going to allow everybody to question operational decision? And um, I, my answer to that is yes, yes, they should. If they're not, if it's not clearly spelled out why we're going into an operational theater." to engage in a shooting war, then why wouldn't we question what we're doing? So this is um, part and parcel of why I did what I did. I have, uh, I'm a human being, just like everybody in the armed forces. Uh, We have that ability to ask questions and have our rights observed just like the rest of the country. So that was why I put my uniform on. Um, And I knew that there would be repercussions. I'm willing to take um, My full responsibility for what I did. Like I said, um, I I knew that this would be coming, and I think that the release of this information is a strategic communication tactic in order to, um, you know, uh, 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 cast cast uh, negative light on on the, the march itself and the reasons behind it and you know the success of it and everything else because obviously there's um there's a there's a, a song sheet that's being passed around within these corporate media outlets and for for some reason this is the way that it needs to be sung to the canadian public which i actually don't understand however um I think that this was a strategic release of information. It's old news being reported as new news. And to be perfectly clear to everybody, when I was charged uh, with two counts of Article 129 under the National Defense Act, and just to put it in a language that's perfectly clear, it's misconduct for the most part, but um, it's a little bit, the, the phrasing is a little bit different, it's conduct, prejudice of the good order of discipline and the exact verb which escaped me. Um, my lawyer that I was put in touch with through the JCCF um, advised that I go to court-martial and I asked for a court-martial back in March because we felt that this was the way for us to speak at length about how uh, I came to this decision and why I came to the decision and it would allow my my legal counsel to demonstrate that um, you know the motivation behind mandating these, um, these these vaccines or disclosing the status is not is is a violation of, of human rights. So um, the the potential uh, the difference between. Um, or, sorry, let me just clarify what happened in military justice. Typically, a member of the armed forces is charged with an offense. There is an investigation. They, uh, the charges are then um, laid formally, and then what happens is uh, the member is informed. He has a right to participate in the investigation. For myself, I, I exercise my right to remain silent. Um, there is the opportunity now for the member to choose typically between a summary trial and a court-martial. The difference is that a summary trial is typically held at a lower level of chain of command, and it is typically uh, uh, less powers of punishment, and it is is brought to a conclusion in in a much uh, faster rate than would happen at a court-martial. So a court-martial involves a significant amount of bureaucratic and legal work, on the part of clerks and legal officers. Uh, there's a selection of the uh of the authority who's going to oversee the court martial or preside over it. This is this is a big deal. And um, but again, we were prepared for that. Uh, again, with my with my counsel advice. Uh, we we asked for a court martial because we felt that this was, like I said, I felt this was a significant violation um, you know, of of such a magnitude that I put my uniform on and went out in public and said something about it, because what it comes down to is I saw something was wrong and I stood up and I said something about it and I decided to do something about it in a peaceful, uh, organized, constructive fashion. So if, uh, when the court martial happens now, realize too that this, unless it is, uh, significantly expedited, um, which would call into question a number of things um this this could take months if not years to see uh it addressed and um if uh you know uh, we don't know what the state of the country is going to be in that time um i am confident in canadian armed forces officers to to um, ensure a fair trial is conducted and uh if that's the case then i believe that you know um, Absolutely, um, there would be some penalty uh, potentially. But um, if, in the event that we are still politically motivated and justice is going to be politically motivated, then you know the potential for me to face severe consequences is is large.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, it bothers me not at all because um, I'm I'm prepared. I think if I am sent to jail for uh, this, I I am going to be in jail. Uh, with the ability to look at myself in the mirror, and um, I, I'm okay with that. And that should be a further demonstration of just far how far we've fallen. Yeah. If that's the case.
0: And what if it's expedited? You said that it would call into question um, certain things. Uh, what are those things? I mean, what uh, what would be the de- uh, what What should we understand from that if it were to be expedited?
1: I think that it would it would point to a you know a motivation, um, uh, probably w- with regards to political um, aspiration, on some parties to have this kind of put out there. So again, it can be painted in a negative light. What I said and what I did, and the reasons why I came forward and spoke out against this this policy, which has divided the country in ways we were you know still coming to grips with. And if that's the case, this is not true justice. This is not military justice. This is, like I said, this is a a process that requires time for both parties to get their evidence together, get their arguments together, um, establish what is going to be, who is going to preside over the proceedings, and so forth and so on. And typically, uh, court martials are something that are avoided unless there's consequence The charge is extremely severe because they take a significant amount of time to to uh, to uh, action. Okay,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You said recently that one of the causes for which you're marching are uh, military personnel who have been dismissed under 5F, which, as I understand it, is someone who, by their own choice, makes themselves unfit for duty. Um, Have I understood 5F correctly here?
1: Yeah, there's also a part that says it is uh, inability or unwillingness to change a behavior. But uh, more or less, it's an administrative release uh, based on on this kind of behavior.
0: So this sounds like a very extreme interpretation of a decision to not get vaccinated. Uh, Do you think that there's any possibility that the military might change their thinking on this and allow military personnel either to be honorably discharged, and collect their pension, because I think one of the things that you did mention is that so under this you you're not uh, uh you're not eligible to get your pension um or you know or means, no, i'll just any... I'll
1: just stop you there just to make sure yeah. that this is properly understood okay so I personally am collecting a pension because okay. I did twenty eight years of regular fourth service okay. That like everything that's going to happen um, will not affect the, my collecting the pension because it's it's my regular force service is come and gone. Okay. However, I am concerned about those members who have completed like nineteen years. So it's not my case. I'm worried about. I'm worried about those members in the armed forces who have been released on five F, who are at the point where they could have been uh, receiving their pension after 20 years of honorable service but they've been denied it because they've been released 19 years and six months in. those folks will be denied a pension there'll okay. be a lump sum payout okay but this is probably something that they don't would not rather have they would probably rather have their intention that they've been working towards for 20 25 30 years
0: okay See, and I, I'm just curious, why is this issue not received the attention that it deserves? It, it seems fairly big, and it's one of the reasons that you're marching for. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: With the why, why hasn't it been receiving any attention? Because it is entirely um, um, disgraceful.
0: Yeah, I've i struggled very, uh, you know, I've been struggling to find uh, reporting on this since you mentioned it because I went went on the internet and been looking for news stories or any attention to this issue and I barely find anything. So it's it's quite extraordinary that uh, if not for you, if you hadn't mentioned this, I don't think most most Canadians would would even be aware of uh, Section five five uh, F and uh, and and you know and uh, people who have been affected by that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and exactly. That's one of the reasons why I'm doing it, and the Canadian public should know about this. And and should the armed forces, um, you know, realize what what's happening here? I think there's a significant effort that they should make. Again, this is going to speak to peace that I talked about. Um, Federal government workers have been invited back to work. Um, That that's a positive. However. Um, armed forces members have not been as I understand it unless the situation has changed and furthermore um, there are a number of those who have been released under this 5f code um, I don't think they should have been released they should have been allowed to stay in the armed forces and if they have been released on 5f I think they should be invited back as well and all and exonerated and have this kind of thing removed from their records
0: yeah. And and so, James, what are your longer term plans? Uh, do you see Canada marches uh, remaining a uh, grassroots apolitical movement? Or do you think to achieve your goals, you might need to throw your support, say, behind a, uh, an existing political party that shares uh, is sympathetic towards your cause? Or perhaps you might even want to consider starting your own political party. Um, the reason I ask is that in our system, things ultimately only change through our elected representatives. So I'm wondering how you navigate the balance between being a grassroots apolitical movement and the desire for a change in direction that, which would presumably have to happen at the ballot box. Because Canada has always been an evolutionary, not a revolutionary country, unlike uh, our neighbors to the south.
1: Yeah, good question. Um, ultimately, you know, what I would really like is to have my job back, um, and that would be amazing. And then I would potentially hand these uh, the reins of this organization off to somebody else. Um, however, if I must continue with it, that's what I'll do. Uh, to answer your question, I think that one of the things that I've learned is uh, based on my observations over the last four and a half months, and it's one of the things I kind of brought to the attention of our members of parliament when I was able to have that meeting um, on the 22nd of June, where I, I have seen this kind of, which, along with folks coming out to tell me how they were happy about seeing me out there, they finally felt they had a voice, uh, you know, this was something that uh, they, they found, they said was important to them. Um, I'm, I'm hearing from them uh, that they also feel disenfranchised with the system they feel they don't have that their vote their votes don't matter and that there's no um um recourse okay for when it comes to these kind of things like these this this kind of mandate that was put into place without any kind of public discussion so uh to a point i agree with them and as much as i uh, i was a federal government worker like i don't want to engage in politics i have to say that you know i have come to kind of re- be a representative of sorts to the folks that i've met along the way So having said that, I I realized that, you know, when you are marching for 10 to 12 hours a day and um, in the way that I do it, I'm not distracted. I have to stay focused on the horizon and what's around me. And you do some serious thinking and what, you know, it it doesn't take a lot of imagination or intelligence to see that um, there's an imbalance here. Canadian people are unaware of the power that they hold as citizens, okay, as taxpayers, as voters. So if it came to it, um, you know, what's it going to take for them to re-engage? Uh, they need to be informed. They need to be educated. They need to be told exactly what they need to do. And to that point, I think we are uh, we were able to show them that this system still does work in a fashion because the representatives who came to speak to me on the June 22nd, the ones I extended an invitation to, they did so for the large part at the behest of their constituents. So this is a demonstration of what it takes to to get folks to realize that they are voters and and they are taxpayers. They have representatives in government working on their behalf, even though that's sometimes forgot. And I think what I see happening is that you know if I am um, uh, you know unfortunately <laughs> have to you know I, I I shouldn't say that unfortunately if I am put in this position where I am going to be at this you know. Educational campaign, so to speak. Um, then that's that's what I'll do. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be me. There's a number of folks who come to these same conclusions. I just captured, you know, some attention and some some of the public imagination. You know, what I would just advise folks yeah. to do is educate themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the system, how it works, what they need to do to take take control over the system, because again, they need to realize that their representatives, ultimately, they work them the Canadian public has representatives to act on their behalf and that's what it's going to take
0: so you're saying that you have no political aspirations or ambitions of your own no okay
1: not at all okay. I would like I I, I, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how like, I would rather not do anything like that
0: okay um, you've been in some pretty dysfunctional places, uh, such as the former Yugoslavia. Uh, these places you know, literally fell apart in a matter of weeks and months after apparently being uh, very stable for decades. Now, our democracy in Canada is pretty resilient. Our institutions have generally been strong. But in recent years, they've come under strain. And the social fabric, um, as you yourself have pointed out, has been fraying, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, Since the pandemic, uh, with the government's use of harsh uh, measures, um, vaccine mandates, and most recently, the Trudeau government's uh, crackdown on peaceful protesters by using uh, the emergency uh, emergency measures. Um, We think that in Canada, you know, we're you know, we think that everything is going to be okay um, despite all our problems. Do you think that sometimes we are a bit too complacent uh about how good we have it here um based on what you've seen overseas are there any lessons here for Canada?
1: Yeah, I have to be careful how I phrase this lest it get taken out of context by um third parties but um absolutely there is a level of complacency here. And um you know and it, and the thing is it comes down to the fact that um, our, our society, for the most part, has sustained itself. And, um, you know, we've built an amazing thing here. So, you know, for for what we have had happen to us with with the implementation of these policies, um, it has created a divide unlike anything we've ever seen. And so is this a strain on uh, on folks? Yes, it is. This is easier to go along, to get along? Uh, I, I, I can understand why it would be. Because who wants to be in that position where they're not getting paid now and they have a family that they have to look after, and then, then you have this this kind of um, um, underneath the surface of it all. Um, and I'm and I'm speaking to this because I've spoken to people who've told me that this is this there's a level of rage that they have experienced because they felt coerced into complying with these mandates in order to get paid. And that's not something that's going to go away unless we address it in some fashion. Um, furthermore, um, you know whether or not it, the pandemic can be, we can you know be said to be the cause of this uh, economic downturn, uh, rising interest rates, uh, gas prices that are at all time highs. Like I mean, these all contribute in a way. I think that we as Canadians are going to hold it together. And. Um, I, I am I am fairly confident in that. I, I do think that there's definitely you know this 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 anger seething underneath the surface, and it needs to be addressed. Um, because um, you know it's it's furthering the divide, okay. And then it's it's this this bad feeling that unless um, we do something about it, it it creates more distrust and more fear and more separation and more folks who want to leave it this is this is mostly what i'm encountering folks uh, who i've met along the way who now um, they want to leave canada and this to me is astonishing because this used to be you know for a place where people from around the world who are disadvantaged are coming to realize a better life for themselves and now we have folks who want to leave the country because they are afraid of their own governments and I I think it's um, an unacceptable situation that can be addressed through peaceful protests and with law-abiding measures by educating and informing and again um, engaging the public to pursue a enabling the public to become engaged in the system.
0: Yeah. Uh, you've talked about redirecting Canadian society to where it should be. And you've uh, talked about restoring balance in the system. Uh, what do you, what do you mean by restoring balance and where do you think uh, Canada should be uh, according to you?
1: Well, it's, it's like I had told the members of parliament. Yeah. Um, You know, to me, there's been, it appears, okay, and I think uh, this can be unequivocally um, proven, that uh, mandates and measures were put into place without the proper risk-benefit analysis. Uh, They were put in place without a public discussion. Um, You know, there was no input from the Canadian public. So how is that a balance? There's no balance there. Um, You know, we, just because uh, you don't have a title, doesn't mean that there doesn't there shouldn't be a public discussion on some of these things uh and especially with uh, with the potential for um for damage to be done like we've seen with the implementation of these mandates so um how do you address that like again and I'll say it it's it's empowering Canadians to realize that um, they do have a level of control over the system provided they inform and engage and this is what it's going to take so it doesn't mean that um you know you're 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 encouraging them to behave in any way that's not lawful but they can still work together um in an organized fashion like i demonstrated like we demonstrated that you know when i asked for that meeting with members of parliament most of them were there because they were asked to do to be there by their constituents Constituents, that's how it works yeah so you have a representative that is responsible that is responsive to his constituencies and if we have this across the board then this is how we have the appropriate balance that's needed
0: um so large sections of the mainstream media have either tried to ignore you or or they've tried to smear you and your organization um, how does that make you feel? Does that bother you? Um, and I've, and you know, let's say you'd been marching for Ukraine across the country, for Ukraine's freedom. Do you think the mainstream media would have uh, reacted differently?
1: No, I got um, to uh, the point where um, I'm okay with it. I'm not exactly happy about it. Uh, like you said, if I was to have been marching for a different um, cause, okay, quote unquote, Quote, uh definitely, I do believe, you know, I would probably have my own um, retinue in a bus and a number of other perks that I don't have available now. But um, the uh, the fact is that uh, this is not a popular thing to be engaging in in this current um, climate and the media landscape is not friendly to the things that I'm saying. And, of course, this kind of um, a lot of this is being painted, um as something negative and I'm, I'm perplexed because nothing that we've done is outside of the law. Uh, you know, I haven't been approached and have, um, met with Canadians from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from all income brackets. Okay. And, um, to have, you know, these, these, this name calling and the smears, it does, it does bother me in a way that, um, you know, because what have, what has the, you know, uh, corporate journalism become in that there's no attempt at a discussion or an attempt to understand why I'm doing like in in the fashion that you're doing as an independent journalist, uh, asking the questions, allowing me to explain, Um, that's not happening at the corporate level. There's just this this, uh, name calling and um, no attempt at any sort of uh, investigation. And if the investigation is had, I would say it's not a very good one because I have not come into contact with many um, reporters at the higher levels at, at these various organizations. So when I say that, um, I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly OK with it because I think it. It's it's very disruptive and harmful uh, to the public mind. Yeah, this is, is this just something that is creating a, a kind of hatred and a rage in people and it's not necessary because nothing i've ever said or done is inflammatory i've not insulted anybody i've ne- i've not criticized all i'm trying to do is bring to light the the um the issues that are facing federal government workers that have been affected like i have
0: yeah
1: so i just find it um it's it's irresponsible journalism uh it does it does bother me because of the hatred and anger that is generating, which is misplaced and not necessary, I might add. However, um, when I have had the ability now over the last couple of days to have a couple of conversations with uh, reporters from Canadian press and um, Ottawa Citizen, I have attempted to try to say, look, this is what I am seeing from your organizations. please. Um, make some effort at, uh, highlighting the positive that came out of this because this is the remarkable story and how uh, number one uh, I came together with 11 other people and over the course of four and a half months um, that team uh, facilitated a, a, a foot march okay over 4,400 4, kilometers in length so uh, why this cannot be reported on you know um, I, I don't understand why, and what, why this
0: What was the reaction? What was the response from this uh, journalist that you were uh, conveying this to?
1: I, I think it was you know it was taken on board, but I understand that a journalist and a relationship, and I believe we had this conversation, you know there's a relationship with editorial boards, with publishers, with owners. Um, they can they can write whatever they wish. However, what they write is potentially not always published. And then there are constraints possibly with what, um, the way the information is, is going to be, um, put out there. And, and, and I know that the challenges are as well. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's taking a story like this and fitting it into 250 words. So what is allowed to stay and what is allowed to, um, or what is taken out of the article? Um, you know, this is, this is lost in this kind of, um, yeah. Um, the parameters around you know reporting, and then again it 's the headline. sometimes the headlines are markedly different from the subject
0: right, and some of it is just smear and it 's guilt by association and uh, you know none of this is helpful in trying to understand uh, what you 're trying to do and uh, you know what you're why you 're marching or even understand the larger cause, right? Um, and I, I feel that it's li- more than a bit ironic that there seems to be more support uh, in marching for the freedoms of people in another country, let's say Ukraine, had you been doing that, rather than the freedom for Canadians to make choices for themselves. Um, you know, what, what does that tell us about where we are in Canada?
1: Well, again, I think it's it shows to and it points to the dominance of this kind of... Um, you know this this media corporate entity that you know broadcasts uh, erroneous, and misrepresentative information uh, is not necessarily untrue, but this information is it's weaponized. So, for example, it's like you know to point to my example, it's the release of this this shocking headline um, that's right up there with you know probably something we would see, you know, the national inquirer do <clears throat> and that uh, my, you know, my court martial was announced with this, you know, fanfare, even though it was something that I actually asked for back in March. <laughs> you know, why is it done like that? It's done like that to, to skew the, the picture, uh, frame it in a way that is, you know, can be presented as negative. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, I, I think what, what is actually happening as well for these organizations? They're undermining their own credibility in, in a lot of ways in doing that. Um, unfortunately, I'm not really sure what level of media literacy most of the Canadian public has. So, um, you know, it's just, it just seems that it's unfortunate. And, uh, I do believe that we can kind of work ourselves out of this by kind of like in addition to informed and educated voters and taxpayers, then we have informed and educated um, um, the public that is able to navigate this kind of warped media landscape that we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah, Uh, finally, James, I know you're hard pressed for time and I know you have to get going, but uh, where do you see Canada heading in the months and years ahead? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic, agnostic?
1: I, I'm fairly uh, optimistic, to be honest. I mean, like I said, what I saw happening: um, uh, number one, we were ignored; number two, we got attention from the first from our federal representatives in the federal government. Again, I want to point to the courage that it took for those folks to come out and speak to me because of this kind of um, twisted media landscape and political um, um, Game of Thrones style system we have in place now. So they they did demonstrate a lot of courage coming out, and um, I think that's important. And um, that happened. The, the support and the acknowledgement that I've received from people on the ground is overwhelmingly positive, and um, I'm optimistic. Like I said, we're going to take uh, we're going to get going on on phase two of this mission, so to speak, on July the 18th. Um, we will probably not be leaving from Ottawa just because of the fact that you know this is. Um, let's 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 keep the uh, the media the corporate media on its toes. We're actually going to leave from another location, and uh, we'll leave uh, that has yet to be determined. But it will be closer to southern Ontario, and not in and around Ottawa, just because I think that you know the number of folks who drove up to visit us in Ottawa on June 3rd. We're going to try to move ourselves down closer to that area. Um, just to make ourselves accessible because this is one of the things too that I think is, um, you know, a positive change is on the horizon because there's folks out there willing to put themselves, um, you know, there's folks like me willing to put themselves out, out there and make ourselves accessible. And that's what mm-hmm. we represent to people. We're, we're accessible and we listen. This is what I think is important for. We listen to folks and what they have to say.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, James, uh, that brings us... Uh... To the end of this conversation, I really uh, appreciate you making the time to chat with me and to, um, you know, share your thoughts and views with uh, with uh, with your with our listeners. And uh, I wish you all the best as you march onward to Signal Hill, Newfoundland. And I really hope that um, I get another opportunity to chat with you in the weeks in the weeks ahead.
1: I think that's entirely possible. Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to tell my side of the story and get the real information out there because, as you know, this is what I think it's going to take. It's going to take this partnership between, um, you know, educators and journalists, um, you know, working together with, with people like me and represent, and representing us and allowing us to get that, um, you know, our side of the story out.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, thanks so much, James, and good luck with your march and uh, hope to hope to speak to you soon. Okay, Okay. thank you. Take care.